Good morning again. If you have a Bible, I would invite you to turn to the first chapter of the New Testament book of Romans. Romans chapter 1. And in just a second, we're going to begin reading in verses from verse 16 and 17. If you're visiting, we've been working through Romans verse by verse. And so the reason why we're here this morning is this, this is where, where we should be. We, and we're going to be working through the book for, for a bit. I have to say that when Erica was giving the announcement about not giving candy anymore for Bible verse, the first thing in my head, I said, oh my, we're going to give away cash. And, then, <laughs> and we are, but not that way. So good. It's like, what did anybody tell me that? What's going on? Okay. Anyway, okay. Verse 16 and 17, Romans chapter 1. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, quotes from the Old Testament there, the righteous will live by faith. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, you are so good, and you have been good for all eternity. And on our own, we are not fit to come before you. We have no personal righteousness to offer, and nothing we possess could ever pay our way into your presence. Therefore, we thank you sincerely that Jesus Christ is our righteousness and that Jesus Christ is our only mediator. And therefore, we come with confidence to your throne of grace with a very simple request, that as your word is preached, you will give all of us everything we we think we need and everything that you know we need so that we might praise your name proper and increasingly live in light. Let me say it like this, God. Increasingly live together in light of the beauty of verse 17. For Jesus' sake, we ask this. Amen. Well, the Bible teaches us that God is all-powerful, that he is almighty. He rules the world. Now, admittedly, his hand may be hidden, but his rule is certain. And the Bible also teaches us pretty plainly that all people are sinful and cannot make themselves good by following rules, which is why the Bible clearly says, and we just read it, only God can take away the sin in us and make us good, and he has mercifully done it in Christ alone. So that the righteous, and I hope your Bible's open, you'll see this, verse 17, the righteous live by faith. Now, that's pretty simple. But in light of that, may I please ask you this question? Why is it that something so beautiful and so truthful and so clear and so needed and so gracious causes so much trouble, causes so much anger, causes so much death, causes so much confusion in or out of the church? I mean, right now, there's something like 33,000 Christian denominations in the world. Why is that so? Well, let's think together. The gospel, by telling us it is undeserved and it is free, insults our pride. Because it tells us that we were and we are spiritual failures apart from Jesus Christ. So that the only way to gain salvation and enjoy freedom and grow is that it has to be foundationally and therefore ultimately a gift from God. 
And that, of course, offends moral and religious people who think that their decency and spiritual fervor set them apart and give them advantage over the less moral and less spiritual fervent people and so a bigger welcome from God. Also, the gospel can be insulting by telling us Jesus died for us because of our rebellion is, not just was, is, is so real and it's so raunchy that only the death of God's Son could save us. And of course, this offends the modern cult of self-expression and people condemning and the popular belief in the natural goodness of humanity, or at least certain segments of humanity are good, which is the reason why other segments of humanity are pretty easily condemning on the other segments of humanity who they think are not good. So the gospel, by telling us trying to be good and trying to be spiritual is not enough, insults and offends because it insists that no good person will be saved. But only bad people, bad people honest enough to admit their badness who come to God through faith in Christ alone. Which also offends the modern notion that many people are sincere and they're very nice and they can find God their own way. Because we don't want to lose our autonomy. We don't want to lose our independence and even our self-governing. That's humanity. That's Frank Sinatra actually, right? I was reminding myself and was reminded by someone a few weeks ago that the two most popular songs that are asked to be sung at a funeral, one is Amazing Grace, the other is Frank Sinatra's I Did It My Way. The record shows I took the blows and I did it my way. But the gospel tells us Jesus Christ is the only way and he is Lord and our salvation was accomplished by his suffering and his serving and his dying. And that's part of our new nature, which also offends people who want salvation in life to be an easy life, a life on their own terms. We want um, salvation to be there, but we want it to be on our own terms. And that offends people who want to do their best to make their life safe and to make their life comfortable, peaceful in the sense that they have no obligation to anyone at all. Least of all, verse 14, you see it there, an obligation to the gospel. So as we think about this, it shouldn't be shocking to us when we make the list of people who were responsible for the death of Jesus Christ that it basically covers everyone. So the religious people were there, the civil authorities were there, and the common people were all there, and one way or another, they were all saying, crucify him, right? Just, just get rid of him. And you and I were there too, unless... We don't believe the song that we sing that has a line, Ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. So, so what I'm trying to say is fighting over the truth of the gospel would be like a family of four fighting over 12 large pizzas. You're like, really? What is wrong with you? Right? What in the world is the problem? But it happens. However, the gospel exposes us as what we are by nature. So we cannot work our way out of this predicament. We need to be saved, rescued from it, which is the strength behind the two verses which we just read. Alien power, if you would, outside power, God's power coming down to save us. Now, last time we said verse 17 was no less than the thesis statement. If you like, a succinct and concise theme of the whole letter. You could also say it's the theme of the whole Bible. Because the storyline of the Bible is how a righteous God makes unrighteous people righteous through his son. It's so beautiful. It is absolutely good news. So in light of that, we just have three 
straightforward points. I think they're straightforward. If you have a worship folder, you'll see them in the back. The source of the gospel, the core of the gospel, and the key to the gospel. All right? First of all, then, the source of the gospel. Well, if you look at verse 1, right from the get-go, the gospel or the good news is from God, of God, the gospel out of God. And if you think about it, what a way to start a letter, right? Don't you get kind of juiced when you get a letter, an email, and the subject says, good news. We're like, now you're talking. And I'll be darned if the good news is from God. So the gospel is not a human invention, but it is divine revelation. It's nothing that can be compared to anything else on this planet. The good news starts from God, and it comes from God, and Paul is keen on this. In fact, he says it in a few other places. One example, Galatians 1.11, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not something man made up. So this is not like a man-made propaganda. This is not a political message. This is not a religious message. And it's not some message that you could sit aside or set up against all the other messages. No, this is the message from the one God. The gospel is from God. And that should be astounding to us that if you're a Christian, you have this treasure in your heart and on your lips, and it's from God, that the God who made us, the God who fashions us into his image, who we have impinged upon and we continue, at least I do, to continue to impinge upon him, that he has presented in his son the only means, the sole means, where we can find forgiveness, we can find meaning, we can find peace and security and salvation. If you like the, the gospel, the good news from God and not our zeal and not our works is the only way to settle us down and move, move us away from our kind of self-imposed commotion and ruckus and finally enjoy this good news from God who by the way is the same God we find in the Old Testament now why did I just say that well I said it to guard us from the possibility of thinking or actually hearing because it's said quite often that well the God of the Old Testament is is really someone you wouldn't want to know you know, he was really angry. He was like an angry grandpa who got woken up way too early from his afternoon nap, nap. So he is ticked, and he was rough in the Old Testament. And mercifully, there's that blank sheet of paper between Malachi and Matthew, and everything just changed. His mood changed. And he become much more likable, much better, and that's the God you want to know. Or sometimes is the other side of the stick is, you know, we, we need to go Old Testament on people. That's what people need these days. I hate that. That's a fragile mind out of touch with their sin. Nothing can be further from the truth. And here's just one of the many reasons why it's not true. The gospel is not something God supplied in time. The gospel was planned before time. So the same God who banished Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden and prevented their return is the same God who provided clothes for them and their nakedness. He covers their sin, the very sin which caused them to be banished and become aware of their nakedness in the first place. You know what that's like? This is like a parent grounding themselves for the disobedience of their child. We did that. My daughter freaked out. <laughs> I punished myself for her disobedience. So we have judgment and mercy, as it were, executed in the very same instance. It's the same way on the cross. Both God's mercy and God's judgment is being poured out and being made clear on his son. On his son. 
And I hope you get that. The Christian has no anger being poured out over them from God in Christ. Please get that. The Christian has no anger being poured out over them from God in Christ. Now, we may pour out anger towards each other. That's regrettable. But God will not on us because he exhausted his anger over our sin, over his son on the cross. And to think otherwise is offensive to the cross-bearing work of Jesus Christ. Real pain and real mercy put a real end to God's anger over God's people. That's the gospel. So, Graham's Goldsworthy. He has a little book, Gospel-Centered Hermeneutics. He said, God's ultimate creation plan was not Adam and Eve in Eden, but Christ in the gospel. Get that? God's ultimate creation plan was not Adam and Eve in Eden, but Christ in the gospel. And if you think about it, there is so much pain in the world, some of which is explained away as physical pain, but I just wonder, I don't know this to be true, but I just wonder if, if that pain's true source is in the heart. Because it's, it's a lot easier to say, my tooth is hurting, give me a pill, than to say, my heart is breaking, and I can't fix it. It's easier to say, my job, my husband, my wife, my money, my parents, my church, not very good, than to say, I need help. Because I'm starting to realize that I'm not very good. Good news. Good news. Jesus can help you. That's the source of the gospel. The gospel is from God and the gospel, verse 16, do you see it there, is the power of God. The gospel is the power of God. So the sourcing power, if you would, of gospel is God. And the Bible encourages us by telling us many, many times that God has great power. That's Psalm 79, 11. The Bible says God has strong power, Psalm 89, verse 13. The Bible said, says God has glorious power, Exodus 15, 6. Everlasting power, Isaiah 26, 4. He is all power, Colossians, Colossians, or excuse me, Colossians 1, 11. Sovereign power, Romans 9, 21. And it was Jesus who said, Matthew 28, 18, all power is given to me. All power, every power is subject ultimately to the power of Christ. Hey, hey, right? Hey, hey, hallelujah. And that's why Jesus' earthly ministry, he showed that he had all power. He, he fed people out of nothing, if you would, a few fishes and a few pieces of bread. Still the storm, walk on water, power over death. Lazarus, get out of there. Lazarus got out of there. The dead son of the widow of Nain, the dead daughter of Jairus, alive. And Jesus, and this is important to me, Jesus even had power to control himself at his trial and to control himself in his beatings and to control himself when they were just mocking the crud out of him. So he had the power to, to be meek when all that crud was coming his way. And here, Romans 1.16, it says the power of God for or unto the salvation of everyone who believes. God has power to save people. God has power to transform people, to change their nature, to change their times, and to change their eternal destiny. Psalm 106.8.9, he saved them for his namesake. 
that he might make known his mighty power. Listen very carefully, careful Christian. I hope that you're feeling really, really, really secure in your salvation. And you're feeling really, really secure in your common life. If that's you, good, well done, because that is part of the good news. Now, again, this is me, but sometimes I wonder if it's kind of a learned behavior sometimes in, in the church where something seems really wrong if there's not something that we're worried about, something that we're not afraid of, or something that we're not miserable about. Right? So, like, what's wrong with me because I'm not feeling afraid, I'm not feeling worried, and I'm not miserable? That's gospel power, isn't it? That's the good news impinging itself on all the other news that we hear from all kinds of places. That's number one. That's the source of the gospel. It's from God. It is God's power. And that's the good news. Good news from God. Another psalm, Psalm 63, 5 and 7. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. We'll call it ice cream. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed. And I meditate on you in the watches of the night for you have been my help. And the word there literally means you have been my solid, my solidness. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. And see, that has nothing to do with us. It has all to do with the goodness of God, if you would, in the gospel. Now, we're going to get to the next point, but I want you to think about this. Society and our own flesh constantly trying to us to be aware of what we are, what we achieve, what we're doing, or what we are planned to do. That's how we mark ourselves out. That's how we, quote, feel good. However, maturity in Christ begins with the awareness of what we are not. Not what we are, but what we are not and what God is. We are not right in any way, on any level, apart from Christ. But if you're in Christ, you are right. And if you think about it, one critical element of growing up healthy and growing up wise is learning to, to live on other people's terms. So, for example, the school hands you a schedule. You follow it. Your parents hand you a bowl of vegetables. <laughs> you eat it. Our gracious God hands us good news. You live in it, and you enjoy the great wonder of it. Living in light of the good news. Think about that. That means that I can toss out any old and wrong thinking about God. I can, I can toss out any kind of tired and cultural or tribal thoughts about God or even my own personal things or my superstitions or views about God. Let, let it go. Is, what's her name? Elsa sings that, right? Let it go. Let it go. And let the good news change you. That's number one, source of the gospel. From God, God's power. Secondly, the core of the gospel. Well, the core of the gospel, which, and this is important, is first for the Jew. Do you see it there? And then the Gentile. So both Jew and Gentile are saved exactly the same way, by faith. The priority of the Jewish people is a theological priority, right? God chose them. God made his covenant with them. And Paul, when he went to, let's see, Corinth, Acts chapter 13, verse 46, he said, we had to speak the word of God to you first. And he's speaking to the Jewish people. We had to. Now, the core of the gospel is the announcement that God has revealed and opened up his kingdom to sinners through the birth, teaching, miracles, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, who, who will one day come to judge the living and the dead, who's going to put away all evil finally 
and he's going to consummate his kingdom for all eternity. In other words, the gospel is the totality of the good news of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. In a phrase, it's salvation. That's the core of the gospel, salvation. Now, what does that word mean? Right? What does salvation mean? Well, it means deliverance. It means to be delivered. Okay, delivered from what? Well, to be delivered from sin's power. And to be delivered from Satan, who had blinded your mind, 2 Corinthians 4.4. To be delivered from the judgment of God. And, And hell. Because only the gospel has the power to save us from all that. And traditionally, when when theologians think of salvation, sometimes they say it like salvation in three tenses, and it helps me to remember the core of the gospel. So we have been saved from sin's penalty. That's the doctrine of justification. We are being saved from sin's power. That's the doctrine of sanctification. We will be saved, thank God, one day from sin's presence. That's the doctrine of glorification. Again, We have been saved from sin's penalty. We are being saved from sin's power. We will be saved one day from sin's presence. And good news, God is the strength and the source behind all of that. Now, just for a moment, because I think this is important, let's just think about the second saving. We are being saved from sin's power. And you see, the reason why I stop there is because this is why Paul knows that the grace of God given in the gospel is much more powerful than any law, than any command or threat to not sin. I hope you understand that. God will build his people up straight in the most holy faith. And everything else will either make us not grow or it'll make us grow crooked. Now, I want you to think about this. If your whole sanctification thing is you have, you know, you've got a list of do's and don'ts or you've got a list of, of, of these are spiritual things that I'm going to do a whole lot more of, if that is all it is, then I promise you, you will come up high and dry and empty and maybe even angry because all that is is the law or works cleverly dressed up as the gospel. And I promise you, your flesh will like that. What's that little saying that a pig with lipstick on is still a pig? That kind of thing. So you can dress it up any way you want, but it's still a pig. It's the same thing with works in the law. It's still what it is. So if you feed on that, either you won't grow or you'll grow crooked. So last week, just by chance, I heard a song that I've never heard before. It's actually kind of an older song. It's called I'm Saved. Maybe you've heard the song. It's by The Commitments. I I think that's a real group. I'm not sure. I think it's a movie or something. Anyway, this is the song. I used to smoke. I used to drink. I used to smoke, drink, and forgive me, but it's in the song, and dance the hoochie coo, and I have no idea what that is. And then he says, I used to smoke and drink and dance the hoochie coo. Oh, yeah, but now I'm standing on the corner praying for a me and you That's why I'm saved. Saved, you know. (laughs) I'm saved. Saved. He goes on. I used to cuss, and I used to fuss. I used to cuss and fuss and boogie all night long. So clearly there's a problem with dancing here with this fellow. But anyway, and then he says, that's why I'm standing on the corner, you know, and all all I know is right from wrong. That's why I'm saved. That's why I'm like, that's not why you're saved. (laughs) Great melody, clever song. All that is is Colossians 2 at the end, all those do's and don'ts. 
which people try to use as, as to stand on, to stand with God or stand before each other. Listen to George Whitfield. True conversion also depends on turning from a self-made righteousness. Cuss, drink, smoke. Those who trust in their own righteousness for conversion hide behind their own good works. This is the reason. Now, this is from the 18th century. This is a reason that self-righteous people are so angry, right? Most of the time, if you're an angry person, it's like, you can use some good news here. <laughs> now, salvation, we're going to continue here. It would be right to think about salvation. What are we saved from? We have safe passage through every human trial. Isn't that true? We may go through all kinds of storms, but at the end, a safe passage. We're saved from divine judgment, and we will also enjoy a safe passage into eternity with God, new heaven and new earth, because we're saved. And we are being saved by sin's power foundationally and ultimately by the gospel, by the power of God at the cross. So again, this is another brief aside, but I just want to give this as a warning. Accountability groups, wonderful. Those are good. Spiritual disciplines, sure. But, all their, but they all work on borrowed power. And if you just use those things only, apart from the gospel, apart from Christ, then you could you know, kind of create some kind of religious fetish where you enjoy the pain of self-denial and you enjoy telling others about your pain and self-denial or you enjoy telling others that they're not having the pain and self-denial like you're having the pain and self-denial which ruins everything loved ones those things those disciplines they are not the gospel and therefore they have no gospel power to save not even to sanctify not on their own we continue on salvation includes forgiveness it includes life in the Spirit. It includes, listen carefully, every promise from God as a yes and amen. This is 2 Corinthians 1. Every promise from God as a yes and amen in Christ. So you don't have to, you don't have to pay to play, right? You don't have to do anything, play, to enjoy God's promises. Jesus has done it for you already. And historically, the culture, and this is so amazing to me, the culture which Paul was writing in, at this time, there was like a turning in Greek philosophy. And this is what I mean. They started focusing more and more on their souls, on the inside of their person. You see, at this time, Roman society, they were living high on the hog. There were bodily improvements. There were intellectual growth, national security, material wealth. It was the golden age for Rome. But it was leaving, as the Bible says it will, it was leaving them high and dry and empty and nothing was feeding the soul. And so Greek philosophers, again, these are not Christians, these are Greek philosophers. They were looking at man as man and they said, things aren't right with us. We need something to change man. So they had a kind of moral philosophy. For example, Epictetus, he was a philosopher. He had um, a lecture room which he called the hospital for the sick soul. Epicurus called his teaching the medicine of salvation. Each of those, at the time of Paul's writing, were looking for something to deliver man from their consistent plunging in themselves all kinds of moral vices. And this is what they said. You guys, we have national security. We have material security. We are growing intellectually. Why aren't you happy? Pax Romana. Remember Roman peace? 
that's supposed to take away all the trouble and then finally we can live the way we've always dreamed. More peace and, and more uprightness. But the Roman world was exactly the opposite. I mean, just as an aside, that's why the wise person knows that any quest for any kind of security, financial security, personal security, relational, whatever, outside of Jesus Christ can ruin souls. The Bible teaches that. History teaches us that. Which led a person named Seneca, who was a moral philosopher, he was a contemporary of Paul's. He said that all mean men excuse me, need to look at ad salutum, toward salvation. He said, what we need is some... This is a Greek. Some hand to reach down and lift us up. Humans, he said, are overwhelmingly weak, having their inefficiency and necessary things. He said of himself, he was, and this is Latin, homo non tolerabilis, a man not even to be tolerated. What does that make you think of? Romans 7, what did Paul say at the end? I am a most wretched man. Right? The same thing from someone who's a pagan. He said men love their vices, but those vices brought only despair, and we need salvation. And loved ones, that need is not just in that generation. It's in every generation. We humans do a wonderful job of distracting ourselves or finding other things to rally around, other causes, other interests to dive into to quiet the soul. But God has put eternity in the soul. And only Jesus can quiet it and comfort it. So let this, if you would, let this mind be in you. The core of the gospel, salvation, is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting men's and women's sins against them. Now, he was counting sins, but he was counting them against his son, Jesus Christ, that we might be saved. Salvation. My sins to Christ account. Christ's righteousness to my account. It's beautiful. Source of the gospel, God himself, God's power, the core of the gospel, salvation from God, and finally the key to the gospel. Well, it's verse 17, isn't it? Is that the God of the universe is a righteous God, and that is revealed in the gospel. So if you think about it and you do a lot of reading, you're like, right now, the, God needs a PR person in the world, right? He gets blamed for everything. Everything that goes wrong is God. Why, God? Why, God? The Bible's different. The Bible's different. The God of the universe is a righteous God, and it's revealed in the good news about God. So the gospel is God's divine achieve, achievement by his righteousness. We said this yesterday at the pig roast, but it bears repeating. There is a righteousness that God requires if we're ever going to be standing before him. This, this status, this righteous status is achieved through the death of Jesus Christ alone on the cross. It's revealed or proclaimed in the gospel and it's bestowed freely on everyone who puts their trust in Jesus Christ. There it is, the righteous at the very end there, the righteous live by faith. That's the key to the gospel. It is in the very nature of a good and righteous God. It's not like our righteousness. You understand that? It's not like our righteousness, which we're so tempted to use as like a status maker with God or, or a status maker with each other. St a symbol. Oh, I'm so righteous. 
And tomorrow I'm going to be even more righteous. You just watch. That is pathetic. It's absolutely pathetic. The righteousness of God, the key to the gospel, which the gospel reveals is an expression so full of wonder and so full of meaning that Paul's going to take the rest of the letter to explain it. He's going to explain to us how God, who is always in the right, makes men and women who are in the wrong to be in the right without jeopardizing his justice, his character, or his righteousness. I... Hallelujah, what a Savior. Hallelujah, what a Savior. I came across this story a few months ago. It's a true story. A group of elders were together, and they were picking names for the new elders. A name came up, and one person said, you know what? He's not happy enough. He's kind of grumpy. He's very touchy, and he complains a lot. Too much, I think, to be an elder. And so they were talking, and they said, well, give us some more reasons. And he goes, okay, here it is in a nutshell. I don't think he knows his sins are forgiven, and I don't think he knows our sins are forgiven. This is how good God is. You see that little line, the righteous will live by faith? This is not the best way to close the sermon, but we're going to give it a go. The righteous will live by faith is written in the Greek future, middle, indicative. And this is what it means. As soon as a person places their faith in Jesus Christ, it becomes an assumed reality by God, with God, that they have the very same righteous status as Jesus Christ. They have the very same righteousness as Jesus Christ. As soon as they become a Christian... And they can live in that truth on their good days and on their bad days. And they can enjoy that truth every day. And praise God, they can extend that truth to all their brothers and sisters in Christ. (laughs) It makes you want to shout or cry, right? Amen or just... In tears, why are you so good? Why? Why? I think this is John Wesley. Bring your sins to the pardoning God, and they will vanish away as a cloud. Good news. Let's pray. Thank you for your attention. Father, thank you for your son. Thank you for the redemptive plan. Thank you for the execution of that plan. Thank you for the application of that plan in our lives. And we pray that that application will be true, not only of everyone here, but grow to be true, everybody we know. That we can do what 1 Peter says and declare this good news in all kinds of ways, to all kinds of people, to the praise of your glory. And then help us as a people, as your people, to truly and honestly enjoy the good news. Let it mark us out and set us out. Guard us from being religious Pharisees. Guard us from being so down and in despair that we behave like unkept children. You have and you've always been a glorious father. You are a good father. Help us as a people to live in light of that truth. 
Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord um, cause his face to shine upon you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. For Jesus' sake, we ask these things. Amen.